This morning, to set the stage for our text, I want us to take just a few minutes and watch this video together.
from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Once a man was asked to say a prayer for a special gathering of prominent national leaders, it was quite an honor and a responsibility. Many important people would hear that prayer. And so he gave it serious thought and he carefully chose his words and he prayed a memorable prayer. Once a man was asked to say a prayer for the evening meal at a soup kitchen of an unknown downtown mission. It was not an honor. It was his turn. Nameless unknowns would hear the prayer. Many of them could hardly wait for this regular ritual to be over so they could eat. So he gave little thought before or during the prayer. His heart was cold. His prayer was routine. And everybody finally got to eat. What is the point of these two prayer stories? What is the distinction? Why the difference? Well, what is different in the two stories are the people and the occasions. What is the same in both stories is God. But in the first story, God is not the reason that the words were carefully chosen. And in the second story, God is not the reason that prayer degenerated into an empty ritual because God was not the focus of either prayer. And that's the point of the two stories, and that's the problem in worship today. And as ironic as it might sound, I think it is absolutely appropriate to ask, is God really the reason that I'm here today? For several weeks, we've been reading Solomon's spiritual journal, Ecclesiastes. And we found that much of it is filled with these horizontal lessons, the barrenness of life under the sun, the futility of wealth, pleasure, work. But on a few occasions, this diary 
we've found to be punctuated with these powerful vertical insights. And they scrape away the facade of empty religion. And they drive us back to a meaningful relationship with God. In the first verses of Ecclesiastes 5 that I just read to you, Solomon goes to the temple and he watches the worshipers as they come to pray and to praise and sacrifice and make their vows. And his tone is quiet, but his words are razor sharp. And his target does not seem to be the one who has abandoned faith or forgotten God. No, he is watching the one who's always there, who's always at church, but only comes and listens with half of an ear and really never gets around to doing what he told God that he would do. Yes, Solomon's target is the worshiper who has lost their sense of of awesome. Their connection with God is superficial. He calls it in verse 1, wrong. He calls it in verse 6, sin. Three times, verse 1, 3, and 4, he calls this person a fool because it is foolish to approach God superficially. It doesn't make sense to be connected with God in some haphazard way. And I'm sure that there were as many reasons for going to the temple in Solomon's day as there are for going to church in our own day. In fact, I'm reminded of the description by Daniel Walker in his book, Enemy in the Pew. He writes, Most people attend worship as they attend a movie, as spectators rather than participants to be entertained and then to judge the performance. They do not come to worship, but to attend a religious lecture. They are not in the truest sense worshipers, but simply churchgoers. They have not come to encounter God. Ecclesiastes 5, I think, speaks to those who really want to encounter God. And in seven short verses, he lays out five principles to follow, five values to hold, five things to do. And I'd like to encourage you to write these down in your bulletin. And then later this week, to discuss them together in your families and in your small groups. Solomon says, if you really want to encounter God in worship, first, get ready to meet God. Get ready to meet God. Verse 1, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. I like the way the message translates this. Watch your step. Watch your step. Solomon is saying, Think about what you're doing here. Be deliberate. Be careful. Be intentional. And even though we may feel comfortable and very familiar with our surroundings, we know where we are and we know what to do. But still, Solomon says, guard your step. Watch your step. 
Now, today we'll, we'll tell people to watch their step when they've never been to a place before. It's a new, fresh experience for them. And they approach it with excitement and anticipation. They're watching their step. And even though in worship, most everyone here will sit in the same spot, on the same pew, every single week, still, we need to watch our step. You know where you're going, you know where you parked, you know where to sit, you know who sits around you, you know what we're going to do. That's the problem. Watch your step. Because for all of the value of habit, it can become the enemy of worship. It can destroy freshness and create dullness. And as the ritual of religious routine repeats itself and accumulates over the years, it eventually becomes what Solomon calls in verse 1, the sacrifice of fools. You know, in Proverbs, Solomon constantly described the fool as someone who was thick-headed, insensitive, unaware of what they were doing. That was the fool. Why? Well, however clear and pure his original thoughts and motives were, at some point they became buried under the accumulated weight of the regular, the habitual, the religious routine. And everything became buried so deep that, as he says, they can't see that they're doing wrong. Is that not what he says? They don't see how habit can become so deadly and so dangerous. Now, at first, they probably watched their step. They were careful. But later, after they thought they knew the way, they stopped being careful. They forgot why they came. They forgot what they were doing. Ken Geyer, in his book, Windows on the Soul, has written these words. It is, I suppose, possible to speak of the soul without speaking of God, just as it is possible to tour a cathedral without stopping to worship. Most of us, though, have taken that tour. And for most of us, it's not enough. It's a cul-de-sac, and it doesn't lead beyond the neighborhood of who we are. We long for something more than a routine walk around the religious block. We long for the companionship of God. And so Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to meet God. Get ready to meet God. Secondly, Solomon says, come to listen to God. The last part of verse 1, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. This is the message of the opening video that we saw. When that family walked into the church building, their worship did not match the trip there. And it didn't match life in the home. 
especially the leader of that home. It just breaks my heart whenever I see that picture of that leader doing the opposite of what he's doing in worship. He wasn't careful. He wasn't watching his steps as he led his children into worship. And Solomon says, the way to watch your steps is to listen. Not just go through the motions, not just simply fulfill the habit, but truly listen. Now, think with me for a minute. You know how it is in regular conversation when someone thinks they know what you're going to say. That's when they stop listening, right? They know what you're going to say. And so why listen? And when we think we have understood God, that's when we stop listening. We ignore. We disregard. There's nothing new to be learned. We learned it 25 years ago. And so I stop listening. And ritual replaces relationship. And it does it in faith, just like it can do it in a marriage, just like it can do it in a friendship. We stop listening to God. And according to the picture that Solomon is painting here, this is the height of arrogance to stop listening, to stop learning, to stop rethinking. It was Henry Thoreau who once wrote, it takes two to speak the truth. One to speak, another to listen. Walt Whitman confessed, to have great poets, there must be great audiences. And so the most important worship preparation is not done by the people who open the building, print the bulletin, prepare the sermon, fill the communion cups, as, as important as all of these are, the most important preparation is each individual decision to come and listen to God. And where do we hear Him? We hear Him in Scripture. We hear Him in prayers. We hear Him in songs. We hear Him in communion. We hear Him in fellowship. We hear Him in the faces of children. We hear Him in the tears of confession. We hear Him in the warm embrace of a brother or sister. Get ready to meet God. Come to listen to God. And then thirdly, Solomon says, be calm and quiet before God. Verses 2 and 3 and then verse 7, he writes, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. I want you to notice the words here, quick and hasty, in verse 2. 
and many words in verses 3 and 7, and the word dreaming in verses 3 and 7. Solomon simply says, eliminate these. And it's easy to see why. They keep us from listening to God. It helps me to understand this by considering the opposite of quick and hasty. What is the opposite of quick and hasty? Slow and careful. And you see, slow and careful, that helps me listen. Because they carve out room to think and to plan and to meditate and to ponder. Notice also in verses 3 and 7 that Solomon basically says, don't daydream. Why? Because when we daydream, it's because we're bored. And this brings us back to verse 1, the sacrifice of fools. You see, the fool doesn't know why they're here. And they're just going through the motions with little thought because they didn't come to worship. Verse 1, instead of watching and anticipating and expecting, no, they're bored and daydreaming. I like the way the Hebrew scholar Derek Kidner explains these verses. He says the dreams appear to be daydreams reducing worship to verbal doodling. Remember doodling? It's what you did in class when you were bored. Well, let me ask you, what makes a worship service boring to you? And before you answer too quickly, consider the players. Consider who's there. God's there, and you're there. Who brought the boredom? You or God? Me or God? But much more is needed, Solomon says, than simply eliminating the quick, the hasty, and the dreaming. I must also begin to replace the many words of verses 3 and 7 with the few words of verse 2. One writer I read called this a verbal economy. Just stop talking and start listening. And Solomon's reason is very interesting. At the very end of verse 2, he says, God is in heaven and you are on the earth, so let your words be few. What does he mean? I think he's saying we are in different places, different positions. I'm not in heaven. I'm not above the sun. I'm under the sun. And therefore, I'm not in a position to teach God anything. No, it's the other way around. And this is why he says in verse 3, the speech of the fool comes when there are many words. I think he means the more I have to say, the more foolish worship becomes. Because worship is a place to be taught, to experience God, to listen to receive from God. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 10, the wise in heart accept commands 
but a chattering fool comes to ruin. I like the words of John Bunyan who wrote, it's better to have a heart without words than words with no heart. Or even one of our presidents, Abraham Lincoln, said, better to be quiet and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Get ready to meet God. Come to listen. Be quiet and calm. And then fourth, he says, mean what you say. Mean what you say. Verses 4 through 6. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Promises made, promises broken. We've all experienced them. And that's why contracts are signed. And that's why weddings have witnesses. And that's why a license can be revoked. And spouses break their marital promises. Parents break their family promises. Friends break their social promises. And believers break their promises to God. This last point is Solomon's focus. Five times, five times he mentions the vow. People often make vows. They make promises to God often in worship. That personal promise you make in prayer, the group promise we all make in song, the public promise some make in response to an invitation. And God simply says, for worship to be real, when you make a promise, keep it. David Hubbard, in his book Beyond Futility, puts it this way, better to bribe a judge than to talk to God with hollow words. Better to slap a policeman than to seek God's influence with meaningless gestures. Better to perjure yourself in court than to harass God with promises you can't keep. And it's so sad that we live in a time when people make and receive commitments they have no intention of believing. It's just paper. But whether or not our culture takes commitments seriously, God does. God does. And so fifthly, Solomon says, rediscover our awesome God. Verse 7, therefore stand in awe of God. Oswald Chambers has written, the man who fears God has nothing else to fear. Or as Richard Halverson put it, men who fear God face life fearlessly. Men who do not fear God end up fearing everything. And Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in chapter 15, he said, the fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Job wrote, 
God's greatness is beyond our understanding. And David calls the heavens the works of God's fingers in Psalm 8. And especially Isaiah chapter 40, who said the width of God's hand marks off the heavens. Now what kind of scope are we talking about here? Philip Yancey tried to describe the scope and the size of God's involvement in his book, Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? How big is God? Here's what Yancey writes. If the Milky Way galaxy were the size of North America, our solar system would fit in a coffee cup. Even now, two Voyager spacecraft are hurtling toward the edge of the solar system at a rate of 100,000 miles an hour. For almost three decades, they've been speeding away from Earth, approaching a distance of 9 billion miles. When engineers beam a command to the spacecraft at the speed of light, it takes 13 hours to arrive. Yet, this vast neighborhood of our sun, the size of a coffee cup, fits along with several hundred billion other stars in the Milky Way, one of perhaps a hundred billion such galaxies in the universe. The width of God's hand marks off the universe. Awesome. God. We can't play games with the creator of the universe. We can't be lukewarm with the one who sustains our life. Why would we want to be? We have to see the God who made us and begin to take him seriously. I have a little pet peeve. You've heard it before. I'd like to suggest it again. Let's stop using the word awesome as a frivolous compliment for hamburgers and fast cars. Let's rescue the word and give it back to our truly awesome God. This morning, I'm not going to ask you to make a promise lightly. Far from it. But I am going to ask you to make a promise. I'm going to ask you to decide with me for this coming week to prepare for the moments you will meet God. To go there to listen to God. While you're there to be calm and quiet in His presence. And when you say something to God, mean what you say and then stand in awe of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we can only ask for your forgiveness when we have been frivolous before your awesome presence. The silence in this room, Father, is our message to you that we love you, we worship you, and we are recommitting our lives to you. Father, take our vows. We mean them seriously. We pray through Jesus.
our Lord. Amen.